Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. We don't need your constitution. We don't need your constitution. We don't need your constitution. Hey, yeah, hey, hey, yeah, hey. Welcome to Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. The podcast I'm doing today is called Indigenous Is, and it's the first in a series that are going to be about Indigenous Is. And I thought about this identity business, I guess you could say, all my life. The song I just finished to me, it was a call to action, a call to being indigenous. They called it the Constitution song. It's actually a, a gambling song, melody. And they're talking about how we don't need your Constitution, Canada. We have our own way of life. And I'm not your Indian Department of Indian Affairs. I seen young men and women activists in the 70s, singing this song. And I remember it woke me up. It was like an awakening. Or created this hunger to 
to be who I am, to be authentic. Because I didn't, I grew up not feeling that. I guess you could say with identity, confusion. Who am I? You know, and I grew up not knowing that there had been a plan to alter the indigenous way of life. And I'm sure many today don't even know that, indigenous and non-indigenous, in this country called Canada. So I grew up, you know, on a reservation, not knowing what reservation meant, and eventually finding out that it means lands reserved for Indians. I grew up calling myself an Indian, that I'm an Indian. My first identification card said that my name was Gerald Ullman. There's a number on there. And it was an Indian status card issued to me by the Department of Immigration from Canada. (laughs) How ironic is that? An original person from this land being told who he is by the Immigration Department of Canada. Shows you how messed up this picture is. So I grew up in this, you know, thinking I'm an Indian. Sometimes it, my mind gets blown away when I, when I look back and I see how effective that assimilation policy was that was created. Assimilation means a gradual absorption of one people into another people's way of life. Gradual. In policies are plans of action. Plans of action. In indigenous life, it was a plan of action to, to do a cultural genocide. Culture means a way of life which includes language, food, dress codes, ceremony, ritual, music, you know, how we conduct business, all of that, that's a culture. And every group in the world had a culture, had a way of life that they developed over thousands of years. So I come from a culture. We had our own language. We had our own education systems. We had our ways of developing individuals. We had ways of living in harmony with nature, with everything in nature, with our neighbors. We had a way of life. That's a culture. So in assimilation, when I looked up the word and it said the gradual absorption, I was thinking, wow, some of this is pretty quick. Because I grew up in my community not seeing one ceremony, not one indigenous ceremony, not hearing music. What I seen was a church, the priest, and uh, that ceremony on Sunday morning, the mass, that was to become my way of life. That is what we had. 
And I think of that plan when I heard that there was an assimilation plan of action, a policy. And the reason for it, because they were saying that the Indians were a problem. A problem, you know, that their solution was to do a cultural genocide. Remember, culture means a way of life. Genocide is made up of a Latin word and a Greek word. The Greek word is geno, means tribal. And side is a Latin word that means killer, cultural killer. That's what the assimilation policy was meant to do. that we were uncivilized, that we're savages, pagans, heathens. I didn't know that those words were uttered, that there was that creation of an identity for us, and that the words were saying that we're going to be the same, we're going to be absorbed, we're going to be civilized, we're going to let go of the indigenous ways. I didn't, you know, that that in itself was a lie. If they wanted to assimilate us, it would have took us in in every aspect of their lives, you know, governance, education, law and order, extraction resources. But no, they segregated us. They put us onto the reservation, into the residential school, into the day school. They wouldn't let us sit with their children. You know, so that, that's not really, in a true sense, assimilation. But there was assimilation. Because I just, you know, I traveled across this country, Canada, and know that there are many struggling to keep their language alive their music, their ceremony, because of that gradual absorption into this crazy, I call it the crazy new way of life. It's crazy for us. You know, and we absorbed into that culture, that way of life. And I'm sad to say that many in that absorption absorbed the negative aspects of this new way of life. And one of them is the consumption of alcohol. Many of our people, we never had alcohol in our culture. You must understand that. And that's why so many became addicted to this substance, this liquid, fire water. So the other part that I, I know is on my mind about that absorption, 
with how we behave in public with one another. And I say some of our people absorbed that and the negative aspects of this new way, this new identity. They absorbed uh, how the communication style. You know, I grew up and I never hear adults really holler and rage at each other in anger. I, I, I didn't see that. It wasn't part of our way of life. I tell people today, none of the elders that taught me, for instance, used foul language or swearing. That's what those ones that came, those were the words that they were uttering when they would get angry at somebody. They'd swear at them. You know, so we took on that identity. We have got absorbed I'm not blaming anybody. You know, I was assimilated and in many ways still assimilated. That gradual absorption. Soon that's all we're speaking is English. You know, starting to eat their foods. You know, the laws and the fishing game that came in, they call it conservation. You know, some I shake my head when I think of that because I knew when we were here by ourselves, there's no extinction. We treated food as sacred. The Statlian people and many other nations I know, First Nations, for instance, have ceremony around food. First salmon that comes up the river, there's a first salmon ceremony to acknowledge to the salmon, to make a confession to them that we respect them and we're thankful that they come back. So there's a ceremony to mark that. And I, my, in my imagination, I would just see the people doing that ceremony and it would bring about this tremendous respect for the salmon people. That we're not going to abuse you we're not going to use you for selfish, greedy reasons. It's to keep us alive and it's to keep us healthy. You know, the salmon's got omega-3, you know. So I think about my people for thousands of years eating wind-dried salmon during the winter, getting that oil into their body, being healthy. So that absorption, assimilation started to have its impact. We started to break our own laws around how to treat ourselves, how to be with our family, with our community, with Mother Earth, with all the Inhabitants of Mother Earth, birds, fish, animals, plants, insects, you know, everything. The impacts are here today. When we lose respect, 
or a plant or an animal or a fish, we will start to do that with other human beings and vice versa. When we stop respecting human beings, we, we will not have respect for the resources. And when that happens, the future generations are at risk. So this identity business is serious. It's critical that we start to form an identity that will promote sustainable lifestyle, which means that seven generations from now, there's going to be sockeye salmon for my descendants, the ones coming behind me. There will be deer, there will be moose, there will be mushrooms, there will be medicines, there will be forests, clean water for my descendants. You know this, I grew up confused, ashamed, as I, you know, we absorb the words that come through the air. And you just imagine children hearing people saying, those are crazy Indians. They're drunken, they're stupid, they're lazy, you know, <laughs> savages, pagans, you know, Indians. You're darn right that affected my way of thinking, my attitude. I started to feel shame. At the same time, I had this hunger that was inside of me to be indigenous. Because along with the colonial message, I'd hear these stories on the side about our shkuna'ams, our healers, the physical strength of the people, what they could accomplish. You know, I heard that part too. I heard the, the stories of generosity and courage, people being reciprocal, sharing with one another, giving to one another. Thank goodness I heard those because I could start to aspire to that. I had that hunger for that kind of sameness that we could, if we could all do indigenous music and dance together, I thought what a feeling that would be. I started to dream those dreams. Because I started to, you know, to think of the problems and challenges in regards to identity. And I feel there are many, and it impacts our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health. It wasn't until I was mistreated by Canadian white people 
that I started to know that I was not the same. And I remember my hurt and confusion because of that as a child. Couldn't understand why they would strike me and holler at me with anger for making a mistake. So today I see the characteristics that were put on us. And the word character means a sharp-edged line. And um, if you do a sharp-edged line on a stone, it's going to stay there for a long time. So our bodies became, there's etched lines on our body from the beatings and the shaming. It became part of our character. How we see ourselves. Because remember, this is happening to children, and I imagine as, as even as an adult, I still feel that at times when I hear it. So growing up in Canada, it was like as if I magically picked up this identity of being an Indian. Not Statlium, being an Indian. An identity created by the Euro-Canadians. An, an identity that had us and our way of life being inferior. This identity was a negative one. I became ashamed. And that's not a good, that's not a good feeling, feeling this ashamed of, of my own people. My young mind started to believe that the white people were superior in every way. I didn't see how they lived. I thought they were all rich and that they're all, you know, happy that they got everything. I look back at such a silly thought, but that's all I thought. That's because I didn't see them. We were on the reservation. <laughs> shows the danger of fantasy thinking. It causes us to believe in something we know nothing about. And that's true for Canadians, too. They don't know anything about our way of life, about our generosity, about our knowledge, about our love, about our compassion that we have for ourselves and each other and the planet that that was our way of life before. It's totally amazing how I internalized the racist ideology, the racist beliefs, as I grew from child to adult. I didn't have the foggiest idea that the creation of an an inferior identity was a tool to weaken us and to dismantle our way of life, to oppress all the First Nations in Canada. The reason of creating this ideology or these beliefs was, of course, to gain access to the land 
the water and the resources on that land and in that water. That's what this new identity was about, to weaken us, to dismantle our way of life. You know that our way, I was thinking about the amount of energy, maybe not even energy, just common sense, that we're to discourage greed, that we see greed as a sickness, that if all of a sudden somebody starts going crazy about owning about having more than, you know, being self-centered. We see that as a problem. That person was in love with power. And we knew that because they would seemingly do anything to get it. And I believe my people saw that and the newcomers that came. That they would do anything to get that power, that land and those resources. You know that power to have authority over other people and their lives? When I think of it that way, it must have been addictive to have that feeling that I got power over you, that you're under my power. that selfish desire to have individual wealth and power. So that's, uh, you know, this whole identity, you know, that we, as human beings we hunger for the sameness, that we want the same, to belong, to be a part of, Natural, I think it's an instinct that we all have. You know, when I was growing up, you know, and I'd see people with the same hairstyle, like my older brothers, you know, with the slicked down sideburns and the ducktail and the wave in front, you know. They were wanting to be the same. They wanted to belong. I got to be a teenager, the hippies were out with long hair and patches on their jeans, and I didn't want to be the same. I see that today, people walking around with holes in their jeans, they want to be the same. So we have this hunger for sameness. That's what identity is about. I see uh, people my people, myself included, wanting identity, wanting to be accepted. So, you know, I started drinking. Part of it was pain, of course. I wanted to feel good. Part of it was identity. 
not knowing that it was a double-edged sword for me because I became an alcoholic, you know, as I continued drinking. My body couldn't deal with it. My mind couldn't deal with it. My spirit couldn't deal with it. It overwhelmed me. I didn't have the strength or whatever it is to deal with it. And it became a problem for me. Then my actions contributed to my identity in the eyes of others. Because actions will do that. Other people can create an identity for you, like the colonizers first said that we're devil worshippers, we're heathens, we're pagans. That's, that's a created identity. And some of them were saying we're the noble savage. You know, we're stoic, all of those things. You know, there's many, many kinds of views coming out. So the created identity, that, that's dangerous because it's stopping people from being who they are, from their own identity. Then there's a identity created by actions. So I started drinking alcohol on weekends. I started off as a teenager, just whenever we can get it, I could get it. But I became an adult, you know, after the age of 21, that's when I can go to the bar. I started going to the bar drinking. At that time, they wouldn't call me a drunk or an alcoholic. Just somebody socializing. But as time went on, I started to drink more. Before I knew it, I was, you know, I just drink on weekends, Saturday, Sunday, start maybe Friday night. Then all of a sudden it's Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Then pretty soon it's whenever I could drink. And this I kept working. But it was quick, it was becoming a problem for me. So people could now say Jerry's an alcoholic because he's drinking every chance he has. So that action made me that identity of being an alcoholic. So different actions that we do, like if I became violent and was beating people up, you'd say, oh, he's a violent man. He beats his children, beats his wife or whatever, then I get that identity. Or a thief. I'm stealing all the time. And if I keep stealing and going to jail and I keep doing it, my identity now is a thief. So actions create identity too. Sometimes we, you know, we're greedy. And we don't care about other people. Just care about ourselves. In the indigenous way, then you start to isolate yourself from the people. You step out of the circle. Because it's all about you now. You know, and that is a Canadian society way of life, generally speaking. I say generally speaking because there's a, I know there's a, a lot of people out there that don't buy into it. 
the newcomers that come here. But it amazes me, the ones that bought into it, how they get away with it and they can still do it over and over and over again. That's why our environment is being threatened. Because people think about the profit loss, not about the future. The here and now profit loss. So that action, what kind of identity comes with that action? Just take, 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 take. You don't put back in, you just take, take, take. Only thing that comes up for me is greedy. <laughs> My kids would use the word greedy at times and somebody was eat all the apricots or the ice cream. Dad, he's a greedy guts. <laughs> and that's what some people are. I don't know how many, but a significant number, but I don't think it's a lot. Many are just struggling to survive, just struggling to make ends meet. You know, so actions create identity. So that's what I wanted to talk about. That part, you know, is just about uh, the problems around identity today. I feel that exist. How many feel proud to be indigenous? You know, how many think indigenous about respect, generosity, love, knowledge, you know, those laws that we used to live by? How many even know they exist? How many have had a chance to sit in ceremony, to listen to indigenous teachers in cultural teachings? How many of them have felt the magic of ceremony and the music in ceremony? How many have felt that? It's my belief today that not that many. That's how effective that assimilation policy was. So the podcast series called Indigenous Is, it's about me talking about indigenous ways. And I'm going to interview various people about what they're doing to revive and maintain indigenous ways. You know, I'm very excited about this because I've been talking to people and I got people lined up and um, you know about talking about being indigenous. 
part of the goal for me is that um, we start to think, okay, I'm going to be indigenous 24-7, you know, to my satisfaction. Because if you don't say that, people will say, hey, you're going to live in a teepee again, or you're going you know, to make your own clothes out of moose hide and stuff, which is a silly thing to say and a mean thing to say. You say, no. The beautiful part about being indigenous is the way we used to think. We had a wonderful attitude, because attitude means you're acting the way you think. And of course, you know, when I think of my elders, they thought about the beauty way of life, about positivity, about helping one another, about being there for each other, about respecting the salmon, the deer, the moose, the plants. I picked mushrooms with my auntie and we'd only do it in a certain way. She says we need to come back next year. If we just take it all, there won't be any here next year. I was instructed to go get fish for elders. You do that. Don't expect anything back. You just do it. They're elders. You know, that's indigenous. You know, of course, when we're young, we sort of rebel against that. But I grew up in a time where you listen to parents. You don't dare, you know, it's not that they're going to beat me senseless or anything. Just something magic would happen, and I know I have to listen to them. So I'm out there getting fish for the elders. The reward was seeing the gratitude, hearing the laughter of the grannies that didn't have anyone to bring them fish. Oh! Oh, and they start laughing and they're happy. It warms up the heart when you hear that and see that. To feel that gratitude, real gratitude. So I had, I continue to do that. So indigenous is, I want to continue to put teachings in the air about being indigenous from my perspective and my experience and also to have guests on the podcast to share what they've been doing. I'd like to talk to artists, people doing indigenous art, carving, painting, jewelry, you know, the ones that know about the medicines, the food, the ones that know how to prepare the skins and the furs, the people that, you know, understand the traditional parenting. You know, I have a whole list of areas I want to cover, and I don't know if I'll be able to find people that want to share this, but I'll look for them, and I already have people lined up. You know, I'm interested in having people share about how they're transformed by going back to 
a time-tested culture because our people lived like this for thousands of years and it was good for them. You know, and the, we do have the resilient people out there, the ones that never gave up, refused to live their way, their culture. Just kept on, kept the language alive, the music, the ceremony, the knowledge about the foods, about family structures, governance. How do we conduct ourselves as groups? That's what governance is. So there are brilliant leaders in ceremony in the potlatch ceremony and other ceremonies are ex excellent facilitators, these ceremonial people. They introduce what we're doing, they do the work, and then they have a conclusion, you know, <laughs> and they do it well. So if I have a chance, I'd like to talk to some of them. So that's what this season is about. Indigenous is. So I look forward to coming on the air, doing teachings on the air. You know, because some of those guests are going to talk about their healing experiences, how they became original again, or how they worked to being original before they were damaged. And we're, I'll talk to individuals that work with our people to bring them healing and understanding and to teach them skills of how to live with one another. I'm looking forward to the season Indigenous Is. Of course, I'll all have different names that will be part of Indigenous Is. One of the podcasts will be Returning to the Circle. You know, and it's about going home to our way of life, using the teachings, using the ceremonies, using the rituals to help us heal and to move in a good way in life. So that's what indigenous is, is about. So I look forward to being on the air again with special guests and with myself. I'd like to thank my crew again for doing what they do so we can get these on the air. So at this time, I'd just like to acknowledge all of the knowledge keepers, the healers. You know, those are our critical people, the ones that know. They listened and they carry the teachings that existed for thousands of years of how for us to live as a culture. For the healers that give tirelessly of their time to help people that are suffering. You know, the healers and the knowledge keepers are the ones that are going to help us. And I'm really thankful for them because that means the children are going to have a door a doorway to our culture. 
because they pass it on, and then I'll go look for them, and they'll if they're if they're allowed, they'll share, you know, what helped them in healing. You know, whether it's a physical ailment or mental health issue or spiritual health issue. You know, we'll we'll talk about those so people know that there is a way that we can heal. So that's uh, always been my motivation for teachings in the air was to help people regain their power. Because I know people took our power. We felt like we don't have power. They they literally fooled us into saying they took our power. They cannot take our power. But they can fool us, they can misdirect us, they can trick us. That we don't know how to build houses. We don't know how to do things. That's not true. We've done it all. Before contact, we've done it all. Shelter, education, food, medicine, music, the arts, you know, we've done it all. And we've done it in a good way. We all come from beautiful people that not only survived here but thrived. We're vibrant, healthy people. So let's go home. Let's go back to that. Let's find that place to be generous with our words, with our time, with our fish, with our moose meat, with helping elders cut wood, you know, doing all of those things. Let's help our children become successful to reach our potential, that they don't fall into a trap of addiction or violence or any of those. That's a good reason to be indigenous. The children, the future, they're depending on us. This time of pandemic, you know, and I think about, I was telling the group today on the Zoom, you know, that uh, the reason why I'm here because my great-grandfather and his dad, they survived the smallpox ep- ep- epidemic that hit my country in 1854. I asked an elder, how would we survive that? Because I heard that it killed 85% of our people. It was very contagious. And it shows on the skin it was an ugly, ugly virus. And this elder that told me, and all my teachings on the air told me. He says, oh, Jerry, there's ones that could see what the smallpox was and what it was doing and how it spread. So they were telling the people we have to leave our highways. At that time, our highways were the lakes and the rivers. And the trappers and the gold miners were coming up the rivers and on the lakes, coming looking for gold and furs. And they were carrying the smallpox. Sometimes in blankets, and they'd give it to people to try and kill us. That's terrorism. That's total war. So he says people that listened to the ones I could see moved away from the highways and went to the different camps, hunting camps, and other places, and left our permanent dwellings because we lived by the highways.
you know, there's social distancing and all of that. They knew that then. They, they wouldn't get near the people that stayed in the winter dwellings and the permanent dwellings. They go back and check in them. This elder says they went back in the winter time and they couldn't see smoke coming out of the Sheishk in the winter dwelling. So they knew they must be gone to the spirit world. So one went to take a look and he looked at everyone and sure enough they were all gone to the spirit world. So they burnt down the winter dwellings. And I thought about that, you know, during this pandemic, and I said, that's why I'm here. Because they listened. So we too must listen. This is being indigenous. The most important part of communication is how we listen. So when we listen, we're going to be okay. Doesn't mean we have to totally agree with everybody, you know, but we listen to the voice of reason and we recognize it and we acknowledge it. So we had the voices of reason in the past and we have it today. So the whole intent of indigenous is is for us to find a way to our cultural homes, our way of life home that took care of us for thousands upon thousands of years. And to do this, we spread the message. We spread the teachings. We lay teachings at the feet of our people, our relatives and friends, or we talk and role model it so they see it in the air. You know that um, that way of life was very valid and beautiful. That indigenous way of life you know, and, uh, and I think about how healthy we were, how sound we were in mind, body, and spirit. That was a good life. Because now, you know, I know I have relatives that worry about diabetes, about heart disease, about cancer, and all of those things. And we go back to the time-tested ways of living. We can make positive changes in our lives. Positive changes. You know, stress, they say stress. If you're under stress all the time, it's like it weakens your immune system. And you'll catch up cold, you'll catch colds and flus. And, you know, it'll, it'll be easier for that cold or that flu or the COVID to come alive in you. So by making the right choices, and through positive action and positive living, you know, we, we will be emulating indigenous is way of living. The intent of the podcasts are to provide guidance. You know, that is time-tested, like I was saying, provide guidance to revive a way of life that worked. Where we can become one with our clans, our families, and Mother Earth. 
and this, and thus live life to the fullest. To have a life full of purpose, of good intentions, and a feeling of completion. That I've done what I, when I, you know, that we can say I've done what I was meant to do. I found my purpose, and I'm going to live it. So thank you for listening to Teachings in the Air. And like I say before, if you hear something that resonates for you or tickles you or makes you feel good, share it with others. You know, we're in a time of COVID now, pandemic, and we all struggle through it. And indigenous is way of life. We learned about patience, about sacrifice. You know, I remember an elder talking about patience. He says, when you know how to go down the river and wait for the salmon, and you have that patience, you are going to be rewarded with food. And sacrifice, you know, we've had people throughout our lives sacrifice themselves for us as we have sacrificed for others. That means we'll give up something for the good of our family, our friends, or our people. That's being indigenous. So I'm looking forward to this season called Indigenous Is. And I'm, I'm excited about it. And part of it is because I'm going to get to listen to those that carry the gifts of our ancestors and live them. You know, and also to ones that are learning, you know, because life is a process. It's step by step. And um, Of course, our job is to mature, you know, to ripen in a good way to be here for the people in Mother Earth. That's the indigenous way. So I'm going to sign off now and I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. <laughs>